Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. Minister Joe O'Brien calls for an end to hotel blockade in County Clare after meeting the locals. My request was that uh, the barriers are taken down, the barricades are taken down, uh, and that in four weeks' time I'll come back down, I'll meet with them again, uh, and during that four-week period there will be no additional people uh, come to McGuana House. Bringing big boxing back to Ireland, Katie Taylor looking forward to her homecoming bout in Dublin this weekend. Um, this is a nation who loved her sport, who loved her boxing, and you know, for a very, very small nation, we're very good at it as well. So it's amazing to be bringing big time boxing back to this nation again, where it belongs. And um, and this isn't any normal fight. This is undisputed champion versus undisputed champion. This is a very, very special fight, one of the biggest fights of boxing, I believe. And what will Chinese online fashion retailer Sheen's new headquarters in Dublin mean for our global reputation? As always, join our conversation online with your comments and your questions. It's hashtag tonight, VMTV. weight undisputed title shot and a move up in weight class this weekend is all about boxing champion Katie Taylor and her homecoming bout as she takes on Chantelle Cameron in the biggest fight on Irish shores in recent history. Well for more on this I'm joined by our panel Irish examiner columnist Fergus Finlay, People Before Profit TD Breach Smith, Trina Foyle MEP Barry Andrews, journalist Aoife Moore and via Skype, sports journalist with the 42.ie, Gavin Casey. You're all very welcome to the programme. I want to go to you first, Gavin. Just how big is this fight? It's her first professional bout in Ireland. Yeah, it's a massive cure for the sport of professional boxing in this country. But I think you can almost separate all of the last eight, nine years in which major professional boxing has been non-existent in this country from what this is this Saturday night, which is a Katie Taylor homecoming. It almost exists in its own realm and is worthy of its own um, importance in a way, in the way it's discussed. It's about Katie Taylor coming home and she hasn't been able to do that since she turned professional in 2016. The last time she fought in this country was literally seven years ago and for the entirety of her professional career, which a lot of your viewers would have been following over the last few years, which has yielded some unbelievable nights and unbelievable fights. She has been unable to fight in front of her home crowd, in front of her own people in this country. And that's where the Saturday is a little bit special. It's a landmark occasion, I think, for Katie Taylor, a landmark occasion for Irish boxing, but also a landmark occasion in a general sense for Irish sport to have her back here and doing what she does best. 
She did talk, as you say, about bringing big boxing back to this nation for the first time in a long time. There were other efforts, though, to get big fights here. Why did they not get off the ground, do you think, Gavin, until now? Well, the reality of it is that the climate in Dublin, especially, um, was not conducive to major professional boxing events being staged in this country over the last seven, eight years. And the reason for that is because since the Regency shooting, or the shooting at the Regency Hotel, which was a boxing weigh-in, um, boxing's inextricable links to professional, uh, or excuse me, boxing's links to a gangland feud in this country have made it too risky to stage a major card here. And that's the reality of it. There have been times in the last five or six years in which Katie Taylor, her promoter, Eddie Hearn, uh, her management team have been really keen on bringing Katie Taylor back to Dublin, especially. And it hasn't been feasible for the simple fact that it wasn't deemed to be safe enough to do it. And we've reached a stage now this Saturday night where the goalposts have shifted a little bit and it is possible and it is happening. But as Eddie Hearn mentioned at the public workout yesterday when we were speaking to him, a group of journalists, this should have happened in her fifth or sixth professional fight, not 22, 23 fights down the line. So it's been a long time coming and the simple fact is that for a long time this country wasn't deemed safe enough to stage an event of this magnitude at the Three Arena or anywhere else in Dublin. And obviously they've decided it is safe enough now, but there has been a lot of talk and a lot of coverage in the papers about the security at this particular fight. You were at the weigh-in today. Was there any evidence of that? And is this sort of talk around the security accurate or do you think it's sort of been um, overblown? <laughs> I actually think if possible, it's both. I think it is accurate insofar as there is a big security presence or has been at the two events I've been to since the fight week has began. So there was a public way in, or excuse me, a public workout in Dundrum yesterday and there was a press conference today uh, in the city centre. And there was a visible guard of presence, but not to the extent that it was in any way off-putting or even jarring. Like, because you know the history of professional boxing here or, or major events here, you can have an eye out for these sorts of things. But as the afternoon progresses, there's a really familial sort of jovial atmosphere and you kind of forget about the fact that there are guardians around the place. We asked Eddie Hearn about this and he was pretty straightforward in so far as he said that he was in Guadalajara in Mexico two weeks ago for a homecoming fight for Canelo Alvarez, who's one of the best boxers in the world. And he had three times the security in Guadalajara as he has this week in Dublin. It is accurate to say that Matchroom, the promotional company that Eddie Hearn runs, have brought security personnel with them to Ireland. But they actually do that no matter where they go. So this is just business as usual for them. And even when I read reports of that, I, it struck me that it was sort of normal. This is sort of how boxing cards actually happen. You do draft in security with you. So nothing out of the ordinary, but certainly something that they are taking seriously at the same time. Um, how big a hit has this fight been with boxing fans in Ireland? I mean, has it done the business at the box office? It's a funny one because how many boxing fans are there even in Ireland? It feels as though it's always been a pretty small but really close-knit community. And the interest in this fight, I guess, its relevance lies in the extent to which you can break into the mainstream sporting discussion or the mainstream national discussion, as we're having here tonight on this show, right? It's obviously a big fight in the sense that I'm here talking about it on what's typically a political show. And it's obviously a big fight in the sense that 
8,000 people, 8,500 people are going to line the stands of the three arena to watch Katie Taylor do her thing after a long time waiting for it. I think in boxing terms, it is pretty much the best fight you can make. Forget about men, women, any of that. This is a, an undisputed champion against an undisputed cha- champion. And what that means is basically that Katie Taylor at lightweight owns all of the belts. She's won them all. There's nothing more to do at that weight division. Chantel Cameron, her opponent, who was defending her titles this weekend, owns all of the belts at light welterweight. They're meeting in the middle. Taylor is going up in weight to challenge Cameron because she has almost run out of challenges at lightweight. And to put that into context briefly, it's very, very rare that that has ever happened in the history of professional boxing. Again, forget about men or women. We're talking about maybe Carmen Basilio challenging Sugar Ray Robinson, who was the greatest fighter of all time in okay, 1957. You're, you're, you're selling it to us. You're selling it to us, Gavin. Okay. This is clearly going to be mega. Let me just go to uh, my panel briefly. Aoife, first of all, will you watch this? 100%. I'll absolutely watch this. I agree completely with what Gavin said. Katie Taylor transcends, you know, as he said, a kind of we're seen as a more niche kind of um, a tight-knit community when it comes to boxing fans. And I think Katie Taylor really unites people. She has broken through that. She is a really, obviously, talented, but a role model for young women, for young sports people. I think the attack on the Regency has had a really detrimental effect on Irish boxing, a, a sport that we have historically been very good at um, when it comes to sport and competition. And it sort of overshadowed it, hasn't it? It did, and it became, you know, and like in, especially in inner city communities and stuff, boxing is so important in those communities. So it, I think this is something to be hugely celebrated. And I think there will be loads of people who will be watching it on Saturday night who never watched boxing. That's what Katie Taylor does. Yeah, I think she does too. Do you think, Barry, that it can change maybe the narrative now around the sport in Ireland? Yeah. How would you be hoping? Yeah, I mean, I just read today that um, there were 5,000 ticket requests for the weigh-in tomorrow and they can only give 300 tickets. So clearly people aren't put off. And bear in mind that what happened at the Regency Hotel was at the weigh-in. So there's a massive demand for this. I think it transcends boxing. I mean, I certainly remember where I was in 2012 when she won the gold medal. In the London Olympics, I think it's the country came to a halt. So it's greater than boxing, to Gavin's point about, uh, you know, the boxing community in Ireland is small. Will there be an audience for it? I'm not sure if I'll be watching it. It's on some strange DAZN channel or streaming service. So it's not on terrestrial. Uh, it's not on Sky. It's, uh, so you have to Do you not have a computer? It. You know, I'm, I'm from the... You don't have tickets. I'm, I'm not a young millennial like Aoife, so... Uh, and I don't have a ticket. Um, so, yeah, so, but I think there'll be a huge uh, audience for it. Uh, Bridget, are you a fan? Well, no objections to Katie Taylor, no objections to boxing per se, but I'm not really interested in it. Having said that, I know my taxi driver locally, Paul from Cherry Orchard, will be thrilled skinny about this. He's mad about her. And I've no doubt he'll be there. And uh, boxing in our community... You know, whether it's Cherry Orchard or Drimna, it's very, very popular, particularly with young people. And I get it. I get that it's a good sport. It disciplines young people. It gives them a focus. It strengthens their bodies and their minds and all that. And I get that bit of it, but I have And she's the epitome of that in Katie Taylor. Yeah, she's absolutely. everything an athlete is meant to be in terms of her, her commitment and her drive and her single-mindedness and her focus. Yeah, but Breed Smith has no interest at all. Never have <laughs> so you're not going to be donning your gloves anywhere but in here, Breed Smith, is that it? I don my gloves in the door. <laughs> uh, Fergus, there were questions, um, I suppose, about whether or not the Department of Sport should have gotten involved before now um, to help facilitate 
this fight. Um, as Gavin was saying, you know, Katie Taylor has wanted this homecoming for a long time. So there's questions around Croke Park and whether or not they'll be able to fund the security. They haven't just confirmed that they haven't put money any any money into this. Should they have? No. This is a professional fight. It's, a, it's about making money for promoters and for the boxers. And you suspect the promoters will walk away with an awful lot more money than the boxers will. I'm no fan of this. I'm no fan of boxing, particularly professional boxing. I am, though, a huge fan of Katie Taylor. Um, I can't claim to know her very well, but I'm chairman of a club for people with an intellectual disability in Bray called Lakers. And for years and years, not so much in recent years because she hasn't been here, but for years and years, she was a supporter, a friend, a patron, helped us raise money, helped give our members, many of them with an intellectual, all of them with an intellectual disability, huge confidence in themselves. She's very shy, she's very quiet, but when she's among them, she builds. You know, you can see her growing and building, and you can see them growing and building around her. Why so are you I not do a fan know. Of the sport? I think it's brutal. I, th I think it, it, it is about, you know, used to be about men beating the tar out of each other for other people's benefit and for other people to make money out of. Very, very few boxers, very few boxers die rich. You know, most of them get ripped off. Most of them end up with brain damage. One of my great sporting heroes, um, uh, somebody else I, I, I met very briefly at the opening of the Special Olympics in 2003 was Muhammad Ali. He ended up a kind of a pitiful figure as a consequence of okay. the boxing ring. I'm just going to put that back to Gavin. Do you agree with... Um, Fergus's um, opinion or summation of what the sport is and how those who take part in the sport actually end up? Yeah, he's absolutely 100% accurate. I think in the specific case of Katie Taylor, however, she has made millions of euro from this professional sport since she turned over in 2016 and she's going to earn the highest paycheck or the most lucrative paycheck of her career in Dublin on Saturday night. So there are exceptions to what Fergus is saying. And yet what Fergus is saying is absolutely accurate. It's a treacherous sport. It's a sport that does not look after its athletes. It doesn't have a, a governing body overseeing it on a global scale. It has more four or five sanctioning bodies who are really profit making enterprises in their own right. I think the greatness of boxing lies in its participants, in its stories, in what it offers people as an opportunity to further themselves in lives in which they may not have opportunities to do that. And Katie Taylor is somebody who epitomizes the goodness of boxing, but absolutely there's a dark side to it as well. Okay, just, just looking to, sorry. It'll come and go. It'll be gone and forgotten by Wednesday of next week. Katie Taylor's reputation will live on in Ireland for years and years to come. Yeah, because of who so, she is, not because uh, of what she does. Very quickly, Gavin, will she win? Oh, I don't want to give you dead air, but I also don't want to commit to a yes. Okay, I'm taking that, that as question. a yes. A, I'm taking it as okay. a yes. My money's going to be on Katie Taylor. Uh, Gavin, thanks for joining us uh, this evening. Uh, moving on now, Chinese online fashion retailer Sheen announced earlier this week plans to create... 30 jobs at its new Europe, Middle East and Africa headquarters, where here in Dublin city centre. But not everyone has welcomed the move. If I'm going to come to you, I mean, mm -hmm. most people I think will have heard of Sheen, but perhaps mm -hmm. people aren't quite familiar with what it is. So what, what's its USP? It is probably when people talk about fast fashion, they are talking about places like Sheen. It is a very cheap, fast fashion conglomerate that produces low quality, clothes for very little money. 
their work and practices um, across the world have been criticised. You know, we've heard different things about wages being withheld from staff. Some staff have to pump out around 500 items of clothes in a day. Um, and not only that, they're, the types of dye they use can be poisonous. And also, we know the fast fashion is extremely bad for the environment and Sheen is seen as a big part of that. There's also other ones like Boohoo and Pretty Little Thing and all those things. But they would obviously deny they would all they would deny us that and they the would say are poor quality or yeah. if there's any questionable practices about how they're Yeah, produced. um so a number of reports um from Greenpeace went after their climate and their carbon footprint. And then we had labor reports then about how their Chinese workers were treated. So there has been a huge backlash now um to this. Um it, But they're hugely popular and oh, they're massively, hugely popular here in Ireland. Massively popular here. You know, in the Jervis Centre they did a pop up. So this is only an online retailer. They don't actually have shops. But when they had an online shop or a pop-up shop in Jervis in Dublin, I believe it was something like 4,000 people per day attended it. So there is obviously uh, a demand. There is no doubt about it. You know, I have friends and stuff who, who buy stuff from it. But I think why it's made such a splash this week is because they're opening a new headquarters in Dublin. Um, and Simon Coveney, the Minister for uh, Enterprise, was pictured, you know, cutting the ribbon um, mere days after the Minister for Environment, Eamon Ryan, went after fast fashion and said, you know, in, in years to come, generations will not believe that we allowed fast fashion to happen. I think he said and we'd be horrified. We'd be horrified because of their climate imprint. And for me, I can't believe that in the just mere days after him saying that, then Simon Coveney, his partner in government, someone he sits next to us in cabinet, then went and cut the ribbon and opened it. It looks incredibly, um, it makes the government look incredibly foolish. And it also climate campaigners are now accusing the government of speaking on <laughs> the sides of their mouth when it comes to uh, climate. Yeah, Barry Andrews, you weren't happy with this, were you? No, uh, for, for the similar reasons that Aoife just pointed out. Uh, it's a huge um, organization. It's at a hundred billion valuation. Um, it's the most downloaded app in the US, uh, surpassing Amazon in 2022. And uh, unfortunately, its practices are extremely negative, both from the point of view of human rights and the environment. Uh, there's a, an index called the Fashion Transparency Index, and it scores between zero and 5%, where, for example, uh, North Face or Vans or other familiar brands are scoring more than 60%. So this is a, a fairly cutting assessment of its and, practices. And yet there's very few companies that come to Ireland and get the ministerial nod and get the minister well, it, well, it, for enterprise to go there and stand next to exactly. you know, representatives from the company in front of a sheen sign and you know, cut the ribbon as if to say, you're all very welcome, no questions asked. Yeah, well, this is the point. I mean, I, I think we, 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 as a government, we have to carry out due diligence on, on these companies to make sure that we're not lending Ireland's reputation to the commercial interests of organizations with very questionable practices in terms of how they treat their, uh, uh, how they treat the environment. Now, just Are to, we turning a blind eye to that? Well, I, I think it was a mistake, frankly. I, I, you know, I think we, we need to you know, rule out just a, a mistake, first of all, before we decide that there's some deliberate practice of turning a blind eye. I just want to make one point. There is a new EU law which I'm a negotiator on called the Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive. Bit of a mouthful, but what it does, it mandates large companies to check their supply chain to make sure that there are no human rights abuses and no impacts such as environmental degradation. And that carries a sanction if they fail to do that. So that's coming our way and it will replace 
the claims that are made by company that, companies that they're doing the right thing and it will force them to do the right thing for the first time. OK, so that might address some of the issues around workers' rights, but does it address the issues around fast fashion reach? Well, Should I, we be welcoming this company here? No, I think it's disgraceful what, what took place this week because we talk every day and we see every day and we get reports every day about the climate catastrophe we're facing. The planet will overheat more than 1.5 degrees in the next five years is the latest um, frightening statistic, which I believe is the case. And uh, Eamon Ryan quite rightly criticised fast fashion. But having said that, I think an awful lot of working class young women buy this fashion and they're paid very badly. I know a lot of under 18 year olds who are on the minimum wage for under 18 year olds was just disgraceful. We still don't pay under 18 year olds full complement of unemployment benefit. So if we paid workers properly and gave them aspirations higher than what they're being given, maybe Shine would go out of business across the globe. But, their but not all, in fairness, Breach, not every piece of fashion that's bought on a website like this, and there are many others, are bought you know, out of necessity. They're also just bought because it's cheap, it's fashionable, it's quick, and, and, and people are into fashion. And it's wrong, and it's, and, and, but it's, it, it's produced and allowed to happen because of the low labour standards, the low environmental standards right across the globe, and why we should be welcoming it is beyond me. Fair, it's very, you, very contradictory. Uh, do you agree with that? Well, I, I, get, I get the anxiety, that's for sure. And I, I, and I, I mean, I'd never heard of Sheen and Shine or whatever they're called until uh, the last couple of days. And I should point um, out, we did invite them on to the programme, sure. but nobody was available. Look, for, for 15 years, I worked in Bernardo's and every year we conducted a survey around back to school costs and the pressures that parents faced in terms of dressing their kids and so on. And I know, as a matter of fact, that there are hundreds and thousands of parents in Ireland who have no choice but to go for the cheapest thing that they can get. Um, they, they might want, they might all want to shop in Brown Thomas's and buy, you know, uh, the, Our luxury the, the items. best of the luxury items. But there really aren't those kind of choices. I, I've listened over the last couple of days to a lot of... Um, uh, phone-ins, for example, about this, and I've heard mother after mother uh, talking about how they've been able to get their kids dressed for communions and parties and so on for 50 quid for three kids, where 50 quid wouldn't buy a blouse for one of them in some of the other shops that they go to. And it's not just this, children's fashion, obviously. No, 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 I get, I get that, I get that. For, and, for adults and, and young women, they, I think. I mean, this things. doesn't, on the face of it, and based on what Barry has said, it doesn't sound like a highly reputable company. But I'm guessing it's not alone. I'm guessing there are other names that we could trot out here well, around which questions have to be asked well, as well. There, there's no other company of the size and magnitude of Shein. And it is, it's got a very unique business model, very different from Zara, very different from H&M. They don't have any factories whatsoever. All of it, it's all outsourced supply chains. And so it produces very small numbers of garments its algorithm is able to determine whether these garments are selling well or not. And then it puts the foot on the accelerator and these uh, garments are put out. And it is the largest company in this area because it uses this business model. And not all of its sales can be attributed to, well, you know, people are, are at the end so, of their tether and they have to do that. This is, this is much no, wider I'm, I'm, than that. No, I'm sure you're right and, about and, that. And therefore, we need to really focus on this. So yeah. I, th I think the issue this week was that the government failed to carry out a proper assessment to, to x-ray this company and ask the question whether we should be lending our reputation to 
their commercial interests. Ethan. Yeah, and I think for me, and you know, people looking in and doing political analysis, um, what Eamon Ryan said was, you know, we can't decide this shop can be here and this shop can't because if we looked into every shop that had bad um, practices, you know, there might be any shops left. But the point for me is the fact that Simon Coveney went and cut the ribbon is what I find the most stark about it. Um, because as you said, that's not something that every shop gets or every company gets or, or whatever else. And, and it, it is because also, I think Eamon Ryan did also point that when it comes to sort of implementing change... It would not help them. It's I, I, implementing green strategy mm -hmm. or towards fashion is one of the yeah. most difficult, one of the most complicated. I'm sure yeah. government... He said, Eamon Ryan said it wouldn't... Shane's presence in Dublin wouldn't prevent them implementing green policies, but I just think it looked very contradictory to have a week after Eamon Ryan's comments then they have Simon Coveney cutting the ribbon on this, this new company. I suspect okay. there isn't a single company that has come to Ireland. I'm not defending them, but I suspect there isn't a single company that has come to Ireland under foreign direct investment and set up a European headquarters that hasn't had a minister cutting the ribbon. But, I, but I, what about the point that Barry Andrew is that we perhaps need to, to do a little bit yeah, more due diligence and be careful about lending our reputation? Maybe we should have. I, I, I'm, again, I, I think lending our reputation is a bit overstated. Uh, but... I, I take the point, um, and I'm Barry's done the, the homework on this, and, and I think that has to be respected. It also begs the question as to why they headquartered in Ireland, and it's because of the low rate of corporation tax and the loopholes that are there for them. That's why the big conglomerates and the big multinationals... That's why all of them are here. And uh, that's, you know... All right, okay, we're going to have to uh, leave that there for now. My panel is going to be staying with me. And after the break, why Integration Minister Joe O'Brien is calling for an end to hotel blockades after meeting with locals this evening. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You're very welcome. Well, the Minister of State at the Department of Integration, Joe O'Brien, has called for the ending of a blockade on the approach to a former hotel in County Clare that is being used to house asylum seekers after a meeting with locals this evening. We'll take a look at what the Minister had to say. I met two decent groups of people today. I met, I met the international protection applicants where they're staying. I met the representatives of Inch. They're reasonable people. They're good people. I would say they do feel... Um, feel angry about how they've been portrayed. They were also very clear to distinguish themselves from people who would be associated with the far right. People I spoke to today are not associated with the far right. 
they're normal decent people they have concerns uh, and we're going to try and do our best to address them I've asked them to, t to, to drop the barricade. That's the main reason I came down today uh, to do that. And I, I, I don't feel it's an acceptable thing to do. I understand why they've done it. I don't agree with it. And that's why I'm here to convince them, uh, hopefully, to take that barricade down. So the people had concerns tonight about what the men will do. And, and, and these are things that we want to work on over the next four weeks as well. I was trying to explain to people tonight that a lot of these men will become eligible to work soon. Uh, they'll be able to get access to ETB courses as well. We'd like them to get involved in the local community as well. And as I was explaining tonight, it's a new centre in a new location with a new group of residents. And I've seen this timeline with other accommodation centres as well. The start of the timeline is always the most difficult part because the systems haven't been fully set up and bedded in yet. And I hope that in four weeks' time, uh, the people of Inch will see that this is a better situation for the residents and a better situation and a less fearful one for them as well. And the, uh, I, I suppose it's, it's linked to the barriers going down. Uh, the barriers need to come down. I'll come back down in four weeks' time. Uh, and we'll discuss where people are then. We're not thinking beyond that at the moment. I've told them I would very much like this uh, to be a place where we can bring more people. They have concerns about that, but we, we're in a four-week time, uh, time span now, and, and that's as much as, as we agreed for today. Minister for Integration, Joel Bryan, speaking a little earlier this evening. Well, my panel has stayed on with me. I want to come to you uh, first, Fergus. I'm interested in your take on the protests that we have seen, this was specifically in Inch and the government's handling of it. I think there's a few things you'd have to say. I mean, since this situation began, since international asylum seekers began arriving in Ireland, our processes have been really, really poor. People are entitled to come to Ireland, they're entitled to apply for asylum, and they're entitled to get a decision. And we've been through periods where people had to wait five years and seven years for a yay or nay. And that's unfair to them, it's unfair to the community, and, and so on. The other thing that's very clear uh, is that um, the consultation has been weak and poor, the preparation has been weak and poor. Despite the you know, strong and well-meaning um, people who are involved, like, like Joe O'Brien, uh, who's doing his absolute damnedest, um, they, nevertheless, it is the case that the consultation has been very poor. Do you agree and do you understand the blockades? No, I don't. Because, and I think there is another thing that's going on here. There's an undercurrent that's going on that, that really, really frightens me. If I could tell you one very brief story. A couple of weeks ago, the Central Statistics Office published a very serious sober report about the experience of sexual violence among Irish women. Uh, and they painted a picture of how Irish women had experienced sexual violence uh, over their lifetimes. I wrote an article about that in The Examiner. The Examiner publicised the article. The Examiner was inundated with people claiming that I had obscured the point or refused to report the point that all of this sexual violence was as a consequence of the men from foreign countries who were being admitted to the country. All of it. Now, when I say they were inundated, there were dozens and dozens of social media warriors with names like Ireland is full and so on. I don't think it was a bot. I don't think it was automated. Most of them were pretty illiterate uh, messages, to be perfectly honest. Some of them were really, really abusive messages. But there's a, a, an attempt going out there to stir up hatred. Um, and, and it's easy to do, it seems, when it's men, when it's single men who are coming. So and it's I, the international I've... refugee applicants as opposed to the Ukrainian families that well, people seem I, I to mean, have I've, the, concerns the, about. And yeah, is that something huge, that we haven't really confronted? Well, there's a huge week? irony about all that too. There isn't a single part of rural Ireland, and I'd say 
suspected more true of Clare and Mayo and the West than in most countries, where in the 50s, 60s, 70s in Ireland, communities depended on the what they call the emigrants' remittances of Irish people going to England and other places and sending money home. Every single one of the people we sent abroad was a single man, or at least a man alone. Maybe a man who left his children behind. But we sent dozens and dozens, hundreds, thousands yeah, of hear, men alone. You hear what Joe Bryan's saying there. You know, these people are very clear they want to distinguish themselves though. from the They're far right. They're decent groups of They're people, is what he says. They're frightened. And there's, and there's fear being fomented and stirred up. It's happening in Dublin. Uh, and in Dublin, in parts of Dublin, it has descended into vicious kind of violence and thuggery. Yeah, I'm just wondering, Breach, if you agree with the idea of Joe O'Brien going down and, and meeting with these people and, and speaking with these um, local people who have these concerns, or is there a danger that this sets some sort of a precedent? Well, I want to first of all totally agree with what Fergus said, that there's a fear being stored up and stoked up deliberately against men of colour. And the, the lies and the filth that are spread around, for example, in Bunkrana, your part of the world, there's a disgusting leaflet being spread around about black and brown men, as if they're the big threat. There's a, a protest outside a place in Santry this evening. And when you see the news clip, there's this massive banner that says protect our women and children. I'm sorry, but he's right. The CSO statistics are very stark. 52% of women reported suffering sexual violence in their lifetime from a partner or an ex-partner or a family member. From other not, Irish yeah, people. I, from other Irish men. Not from um, people who've come in from Algeria or Afghanistan or Syria, but in their own lifetime experience. And we live in a country that has a history of violence against women and children, whether it's in institutional care or under the clerical abuse schemes or whatever. We, we just have to think back on that. And it's, it's, um, it's actually very poisoning to put this stuff about in communities because you could be an Irish black person who then gets picked upon because of the colour of your skin. It's really vicious stuff. And communities have to stand up to that. So do politicians. Communities... And we have to be honest with people and say the, the, the colour of the man's skin is not the issue. And by the way, we're shorted, a big shortage of labour in this country. These people want to work and should be allowed to work. And I was delighted to hear Joe O'Brien saying that they're going to do stuff in the community when the Direct Provision Centre opened in Clondalkin, yeah. I saw those people going around doing tidy towns with the local community yeah, and they integrated well. I'm just conscious that he also said, you know, OK, there's an agreement that um, they take, or there's, you know, an ask that they take the barricades down, the blockade down, but also sort of an assurance that there will be no more individuals sent to McGowan House for the next four weeks. And I am worried, um, Barry Andrews, that sort of the communication around this and, and the speaking to local people about the concerns, is that becoming now a negotiation? Yeah, it's a dangerous precedent, in my view, because, I mean, there's a, the, the, first of all, I think the people of Clare have welcomed many thousands of Ukrainians, Syrians, Somalis. They've integrated into schools, the GAA, dance classes, everything. Um, and I think Joe O'Brien's point about the portrayal of this particular community is very well made. Um, but, and, and the, this community say it's, it's a peaceful protest. That's arguable. Mm. It's definitely not a lawful protest. And once you turn a blind eye to lawlessness around the question of whether or not you uh, welcome people uh, who are legitimate applicants for asylum, I think you cross a very dangerous line. And then you legitimise others mm -hmm. who also feel that they can take the law into their own hands. Mm -hmm. Clearly, there are degrees of it. You blockade a road, you say you can't cross here. And if you do, 
the implication is that there will be consequences. So is he wrong to goes, go down then, do you think, to try uh, well, do you know, I, I think, trying to de-escalate the situation? I, 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 I think we've been here before. We've had Uchtarard, we've had Ruski, we've had a, a numerous examples of this. And, you know, I think in the middle of last year, in May 2022, we had about 24,000 Ukrainians into Ireland at that time. And the, the view was, there was no way we could take more than 40,000. We now have 82,000 Ukrainians here in Ireland, and they're integrating exceptionally well. And I think that, yes, problems will arise from time to time. And I think Joe Bryan was right to go down there this evening and to de-escalate it and to freeze the situation for four weeks and let's do something that's much more uh, collaborative with local communities. Because, you know, look, the fears, whatever you might say about how they've been uh, running this protest, you know, their fears are genuinely felt. Whether they're justified, that's another matter. Of okay, but, but there are other there are other uh, centres going to be opening, I think, across Dublin. There's one, in, I know, in Dunleary and a couple of other places. I mean, are we going to have protests there? Are we going to see the minister going down again? Are we going to have another situation where we freeze? Yeah, well, I, I like this is this is why I think it's a slightly dangerous precedent that you you once you open the you know the the the, uh, the door to uh, you know you reward bad behaviour essentially. Um, you're rewarding bad behaviour here where somebody has taken the law into their own hands and you've made a concession. Now, I think, but for example... The, yeah, he hasn't made a concession. Well, well he's, he's, he's freezing the situation, for, he's, he's freezing he's the situation for four weeks. So, so there's an existing amount of 28 guys there mm. right and now. And there's a full hotel that And they were going to put in another 50 once they get the fire yeah. certificate for the rest of the hotel. That's Which would stopped. take at least four weeks. Which would take at least four weeks. Well, well that's, hoping that, to get that that's, 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 uh, yeah, that may be yeah. fair point for. I, I, I'm not sure how long that was going to take, but in the case of Dunleary, for example, which is a mile from where I live, um, that'll take a little bit longer. That's going to take at least uh, two months because it's not uh, accommodation. So I think this was going to happen very quickly, and that maybe caused a lot of the difficulties. All right, but uh, do you think people have sympathy for the government in some ways here? IFA at all, because the line we're hearing time and time again is basically they're completely overwhelmed. You know, they would have found accommodation for 8,000 individuals last year. It's up at 82,000 plus this year. Is is that an acceptable excuse anymore? Are people buying that? No. I think the people the people who they actually do feel sorry for, first of all, the people we should feel sorry for are the people who are fleeing war. Some of the most vulnerable people in our country are the people now who are being intimidated. I think people feel sorry for Roger O'Gorman and to a lesser extent, Joe O'Brien. We hear week in, week out at Cabinet that Roger O'Gorman is asking for help. My family, my relatives look after people seeking asylum as well. And every time we deal with the department, it is just clear that they are very, very overwhelmed. And Roger O'Gorman is trying his best. And yet we I hear have... all week and we read all week about real tensions uh, at Cabinet. Yeah, no wonder, no... but no wonder. This has been going on for a year. Joe O'Brien came up with a programme about how to deal with community concerns, how to bring in integration. We have not seen any moves on it. We did I've... see that tender this week, didn't we, for you know, communication yeah, strategy. We... Five months, I think, Fa after Joe yeah, O'Brien's Yeah, exactly, five months over, you know, and they were warned, the government were warned about what was going to happen when they didn't consult with communities and what was going to happen when we didn't have accommodation for refugees and sent them out in the street. And we saw that in Dublin yeah. and what that happened. So, Barry Andrews, does the government have to take responsibility uh, well, well, here? Uh, I saw Hugh O'Connell from Sunday Independent, you know, retweeting their front page from a year ago where it says government mm -hmm. has been warned that this Look, is going to happen in communities. It's, it's going to, it's going to happen from time right. to time. And we're going to be back to this again. If, you know, it, it will happen from time to time, but it is an exception. Let's be clear about it. The vast majority of Ukrainian, uh, Ukrainians have come here under temporary protection. 
have done exceptionally well. It's I've met them in schools across the anti-immigration protests. There have been anti-immigration, and in that context, I think we've done exceptionally well. I think that, you know, from where we've come from uh, at the beginning of the Russian invasion of Ukraine to where we are now. Yes, there have been problems. How could it be otherwise? I think, there, I think there's been okay, tremendous can I, progress can, made can in this on, These people are not Ukrainian refugees. These are people seeking international protection. And I think but, but the issue, but the I think pressure, the issue Aoife, started... On the, on the international protection system. But I think system, the issue obviously. started... These issues started when the government made such a difference between people in direct provision and people fleeing Ukraine seeking asylum. There was definitely a difference made and they said, well, it was because they were in Europe and because of this. But when we started treating those people so differently, we have left people in direct provision for seven years. And now when Ukrainians came, they were given everything off the bat. Yeah. What's the difference? With, would you agree with that? That, that, well, that part I, of it I mean, is perhaps the point, right, treatment I, I made the point of, right of at the start that, that A, communication, and B, processes are, have been really, really poor in Ireland. But the, the bottom line is, we're one of the richest countries in the world, two or three richest countries in the world, who have made an absolute dog's dinner of some of the most important quality of life issues that face the people of the country. Housing being one of them. And it's impossible not to sympathise with people who are full of resentment mm. that they or their children or their relatives can't get housing and other people are. The, the communication around all this, the management of all this, the planning, the, the preparation, I know you can't prepare for every emergency, God, it has been awful. It really has been awful. And we are a year into this. Mm -hmm. Perhaps yeah. that was acceptable for the first couple of months last mm -hmm. year as we got to grips with the crisis, but a year later... Well, the housing crisis is really central to a lot, a, a lot of, of, it, yes. of the foundations and, and of this. A lot more than a year into that. The call of how's the Irish forest because, you know, I represent people who are 12, 14, 15 years on a housing list and they resent it, Ukrainians getting preference over them. But the government has to take responsibility for that. And that responsibility and that contradiction was shown very clearly in Sandwich Street because that is an area of dereliction and neglect writ large and poverty. That the whole um, flat complex behind it has been closed down for five years. And yet we can't excuse what happened. I'm Sandwich not excusing Street. it. I'm putting it in a context. I'm not excusing it. Not at all. And I think in future, when we talk about consultation, it should be about providing communities with the tools to integrate to have the resources like health and transport that is needed to understand what's going on okay. and to absolutely reject this hate-filled rhetoric. All right, we need to leave that there for now. Lots more after this break, including the other big stories of the week. Radker has said he is going to reach out to the family of a 14-year-old boy who was subjected to an unprovoked assault by a group of teenage boys in Navin. Fergus Barry and Aoife have stayed with me. Fergus, I don't know if you saw the video. I don't want to see it. I haven't seen it. I've, I, somebody said to me today that it had 5 million views, which I found deeply mm. shocking. You're tr you are actively trying to avoid it at this I, point. Why would I want to watch a video of a child being beaten to a pulp by other kids? I... I I mean, it's it's kind of indescribable. Um, I mean, I've I, I've known about bullying for I'm 72. For 50 of those, for all my adult life, I've been involved in situations where young people, older people, women have been bullied by others. If somebody's beaten up in the street 
they, they can recover in three days. But if somebody's bullied for six weeks or eight weeks or three months, it can take the rest of their lives before their esteem recovers. I'd rather be beaten up than, you know, have the kind of insidious bullying that seems to have been behind all that. Um, I, I, my heart goes out to the kid. Um, and in fact, my heart goes out to all the kids involved because there's something at play that I don't understand, but it is astonishingly destructive. There are doyens and masters of toxic masculinity making millions and millions in this world. Um, and they're destroying kids' lives, absolutely destroying kids' lives. Um, and, and, I, I, and I can't, you can't pin the blame for something like this on, on any one thing, you know, Andrew Tate or whatever it might be, but there's something desperately um, unspeakably evil about the, the kind of stuff that these kids are being subjected to, which is turning some of them into terribly tortured victims of bullying and some of them into terribly sad bullies. Yeah, I, both, I, of, both lives will be destroyed. It's, it was very, very difficult for people to watch. We did um, show it on the programme um, here last night because the Gardaí were you know, looking for people to come forward, appealing for, for witnesses. But there have been comments from UNESCO's um, charge on bullying saying that the majority of the views and the shares came from adults, actually, those five million views that you talked about. And that as adults, we need to be more conscientious when we are viewing and sharing this kind of material on the internet. Would you agree, Barry? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I saw the video and I have teenage kids and, uh, you know, I was a school teacher and much of what uh, Fergus has said is really resonates with me. And I think in more recent times, bullying has gone online and it's quite insidious because people don't see the harm that's done to their victim. Uh, but in this case, it was so brutal and so obvious to so many people in the company of this poor child uh, that he was being very, very badly beaten and, not, you know, and then compounded by somebody recording it and compounded by somebody putting it uh, and then it being spread all over. I mean, it's just an extraordinary situation. But I think it does uh, remind us that, you know, 99% of bullying is not online and we don't see it and we, uh, we the, the, the the young gay children that are uh, victimized in this way we don't see it we don't see any of this evidence mm -hmm. and yes it's very shocking but it's a wake-up call to parents to teachers to boards of management in schools um that uh, you know this has not gone away we had an equality mm -hmm. referendum we've had lots yeah. of progress but by God, we shouldn't need, yeah, the wake up call, you know we shouldn't need the wake-up call. Yeah. I, I just no, wonder, I mean, as you say, we had that, uh, that referendum, we, we feel that we are a progressive society, but actually, are we becoming less tolerant, Aoife? Well, even before this, the last report that we had that looked into the experiences of LGBTQI uh, school children in Ireland said that a lot of them don't feel safe when school. They feel bullied, they feel victimised. I mean, we can all pat ourselves on the back and say we have marriage equality and we've had an openly gay Taoiseach and openly gay ministers. But if this, if young people, children, are still feeling, you know, this way, then we have failed. We failed those children. And I also would query, what are we teaching in schools about LGBTQ relationships and what kind of sex education are we giving our young people that they don't even have the knowledge that they're othering their own mm. classmates. I think the Taoiseach made a really, really powerful um, statement about it. He said, you know, I wanted to tell the young person, 
it gets better. But when you see the proliferation of hate, especially against trans people, it's hard to tell them it gets better mm. because mm. it it's actually feels like it's getting worse. If you're that age. All right, look, at, on, on that note, we're going to have to leave it. But my thanks to all my panellists uh, for coming in to us this evening and to you at home from watching from the Tonight Show team. Good night and do take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.